Mick Slater foot there. Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 11 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and joining me this week as always it's Graham Steele and Gavin Baxter. How's it going guys? Fine thanks. Curtis Main. Curtis Main. Curtis Main. It's another busy episode this week and we start things off with our review of the Dons 3-2 defeat to the hands of St Mirren at the Smiza, I think that's how you pronounce it, stadium. And we'll also take a look at how Emma Hunter and Gavin Beast's team fared in their away trip to Spartans in the SWPL1. And we'll round up our young prospects as we review the young team and monitor those players who are out on loan. And to round off part one of the show, we'll offer you our thoughts on the upcoming visit of Celtic to Pataudry in the SPFL Premiership. And to round things off, we've got something a little bit different this week for our interview segment, but one that we're dead excited to bring you. A man who's one of the founding members and talisman of one of Scotland's most beloved bands, whose last album, It Won't Be Like This All The Time, gatecrashed the top 20 in the UK charts. But more importantly, he's also a massive dandy. It's James Graham from The Twilight Sad. But before we get to that, Simmon in three, Aberdeen two, Smyza Stadium, the SPFL Premiership, the 26th of September, 2021. Stephen Glass making three changes to the side beaten by the other Saints the week before. Teddy Jenks and Johnny Hayes returning to the starting lineup alongside talismanic Ryan Hedges upon his recovery from injury. Jet and Austin Samuels dropping to the bench with King Ojo out of the squad completely. Gary Woods returning to the bench alongside Dylan McGeoch with Marley Watkins still missing out. And the Buddies essentially with the same starting 11 that began last week at Easter Road in their 2-2 draw. Ethan Erehon coming in for the injured Dylan Reid and an enforced change for Jim Goodman's men. With former Aberdeen striker Curtis Main finding himself in the all-too-familiar role of being on the bench. The Dons made a fairly bright start to proceedings, a raking pass by Bates, sending Jenks scampering down the right and his cutback evaded Ramirez, but fell to the feet of Hayes, whose snapshot was quickly smothered by Arnick. And once again, though, an error at the back saw Aberdeen slip a goal behind. Joe Lewis's terrible kick out is snuffed out 30 yards from goal, and Erahon quickly slipped Ronan in, and his shot deflected off the closing Bates to beat Lewis at his near post. Thankfully, Aberdeen responded almost immediately. A free kick on the right was swung in by Ramsey and Ramirez made life difficult for the Buddies' defence and the ball fell kindly onto Scott Brown for a no-look back heel that Zlatan Ibrahimovic would have been proud. It's fair to say that Brown knew nothing about it. Teddy Jenks had a fine chance to make it 2-1 as he was played in, but Fraser made the block before Jenks could get his shot away. And a few minutes later, Jenks found his way into Willie Collum's little black book for a soft challenge on Fraser. Aberdeen then found themselves in front, a free kick from the left, brilliantly headed home by a flying Christian Ramirez after a good work by Scott Brown at the far post to block off two St Mirren players. Finally, finally, some results from the work by Alan Russell on the training ground. And it was nearly three on 36 minutes. Mackenzie's ball into the back post was nodded back by Ferguson and Hedges just missed out as he slid in. But at halftime, 2-1 Aberdeen and an encouraging performance showing real character having fallen a goal behind. And into the second half, Joe Lewis is called into action nearly straight away. A fine reaction stopped from a Tanzer free kick that evaded everyone in the box. And then the game 
changed completely as Terry Jenks was recklessly late going into a tackle that left Colin with little choice but to brandish a second yellow and the young man from Brighton was sent off. And it only took St Mirren seven minutes to grab an equaliser. McGrath with a fine turn away from Brown and an equally good pass into Ronan, who sold Bates a dummy and struck a fine finish across Joe Lewis. And it went from bad to worse for Aberdeen just three minutes later. Hayes' clearance blocked by St Mirren player and the ball fell to Fraser, who sent a looping ball into the box. Former Aberdeen striker Curtis Main, who'd come onto the pitch in the aftermath of the red card, challenged Joe Lewis and both men appeared to miss the ball completely as the ball drifted into the far corner. Now that sparked the dons into some changes, Jet and Samuels being brought on to replace Ramirez and Hedges, but it's St Mirren who came closest to grabbing another. Tans are swinging a dangerous ball into the box, which only just evaded Brophy at the back post. Lewis Ferguson came close to the volley from the edge of the box before Main should have wrapped things up for St Mirren with a header placed well over the bar from a dangerous position. Hayes, lucky probably not to be sent off for a two-footed lunge on McGrath as the game petered out, leaving the Dons now with no wins in eight games, slipping to seventh in the table with Celtic visiting Pitodre next week. Gents, your thoughts? Well, yeah. Um, in some respect, it's the same as last week, uh, as in we're sitting here, another defeat. So another three points. Sales on past us, although we were chatting just before we came on. It's a slightly different feeling to the one I have last Saturday. And last Saturday, there was absolutely, personally, there was nothing to take from the game that gave me any sort of encouragement. Today, we played a lot. I think we played a lot better. We we scored some goals, which is good. Created some chances. Conceded some goals. Should have conceded some more. But I'll be honest, at halftime, when we got back uh, in front, I was actually quite... Confident now that might sound a bit daft given the run we've been on, but I thought we were looking quite we were looking quite good. Uh, there was a lot to like in that first half performance, but five minutes in, you know the wheels just come off the red card. I think you're you're right. The first yellow, I don't really see what was in there to merit the yellow. The second one, fair enough. If it was the other way around, I'd be wanting a guy in the book. So can't really complain about that. But I think what was really disappointing after that was we just seemed to kind of fall apart and you know the the goals we conceded weren't necessarily down to us being a man light uh, you know it's balls into the box so you had the numbers there and again it's just this theme of silly goals and we'll maybe go into the was it Curtis or was it not the third one um, later on but again players that have previously played at really quite a good level just don't seem to be doing it this season yeah, much the same. Um, I'm sure we'll break the game down into individual segments in a moment. But likewise, I thought with Hedges back in the team, we looked a far more dynamic team and we're playing much better football than we've uh, we've previously seen. And it brings it back even more to the fore that we are incredibly reliant on Ryan Hedges to give us some kind of um, some kind of threat in the team. The red card makes a huge it makes a huge impact on the game. It changes it completely. I thought we were comfortable at halftime as well. That withstanding, it's 10 minutes and we're 3-2 down and it's two goals that St. Mirren do not have to work hard for at all. It's creating a real concerning feeling in, in me that when it comes to situations where the players are challenged, apart from maybe the Hearts game, they've not stood up to it all season. And at this level, people can say what they want about Scottish football, but the SPL, it's, it's competitive. And there's always going to be, in every game, there's going to be a situation where you're challenged if we can't stand up to it, then this is going to be a really long, really hard season. 
it's, it's going around, I guess, about the style of play that we're trying to 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 go with again here. That I think we spoke about this in a couple a couple of episodes ago as well. But it's one of these situations where you start to question, I guess, or or certainly I'm starting to question anyway, whether if you can't afford to bring in top top quality players or or players who are significantly better on a technical level than than what we can afford by trying to play in a particular way is that just kind of doomed to fail so to speak within the Scottish setup because the likes of Rangers the likes of Celtic historically maybe not right at the moment in time because their form is not great at the moment either but when they come up against teams who make it difficult for them who maybe stand you know try and you know try and kick them off the park, try and be forceful, etc. I'm not saying that's necessarily what Sabina did today, but I felt they, they certainly got on our faces and made it difficult. But they've still got enough about them from a, from a technical perspective to just kind of get through that. Whereas we don't really, as I see it right now, I don't feel that we have that technical nous and, and capability. It's not like we're stand out technically better than the opposition, you know, and we're just getting bullied. But it's also not like we're team full of cloggers who can just batter the way through a game either where yeah we're in a kind of halfway house where we don't actually excel at either and I think your your point's right I don't know but I don't know at what point does he you know does the manager maybe decide mm, right maybe I do need to try something different I mean, we're seven league games in probably league wise with the exception of Dundee United too it would appear just got off to a pretty slow start to the season because they've you know they're, they're in pretty good form Currently, we look quite good against them, but it would appear that they made us look good. Uh, we, we scraped through against Livingston. And outside of that, yeah, I think you're probably right. 45 minutes at Tynecastle, uh, which was excellent. Aside from that, yeah, we've not really, we've not looked like we're much better than the team we've been playing, but we've not been able to really match them and go toe-to-toe when you just have to, you know, when the balls bouncing around and people flying into challenges. We're kind of coming off second best in every area. And that is that is worrying. And I don't know what point you can definitely say it's a trend and it's a problem, but it feels like we're there now, seven league games in. There's a lot of the same points we're talking about and they're not necessarily good points. I mean, if we go, let's just go back to the game, I guess, then obviously the first goal, um, talk to me about Joe Lewis. We defended him last week. There's not really much we can do this week, I'm afraid to say. We're stuck in this conundrum. I've, I've been talking with someone on Twitter about this, where I think we'll probably all agree Joe Lewis is not cut out for the role he needs to do if we're going to be this team that plays out from the back. I don't, I don't think that's unfair. I suspect Glass doesn't trust Gary Woods to come in and do the more traditional goalkeeping aspect of things, so we're stuck in this kind of rock and a hard place. I'm like, what, what do we do? And... Bringing it back to the kind of idea of the style or philosophy or whatever you want to call it, maybe we just need to take things back to back to square one and make ourselves, first of all, hard to beat and hard to score against. You know, we rightly, I think, laughed at Daniel Stendhal when he was playing a high, a high line with Christoph Berra because it just showed, you know, complete naivety and you know, opens yourself up to, to being threatened. It's happened too many times and, you know, that's the cause for the first goal here today. It's absolutely a poor kick from from Lewis, but I'm not entirely sure he's the sole person to pick on for that goal. It wasn't just him as a poor, it was a poor kick out. I personally didn't think Bates did particularly well with uh, marking was it Connor Ronan. Uh, he's a little bit unlucky with deflection, but 
I think there are a few component parts in there that were pretty poor before we get down to Lewis. That being said, it feels like it's another week going by where Lewis is part of us conceding a goal uh, and that's not been the norm. And it's again, that's quite a worrying trend this season because although I will absolutely admit I like Joe Lewis, I think some of the criticism he's come in for has been over the top personally, but it does become harder and harder to actually um, stick up from when it does feel like it's a regular occurrence that we're talking about him featuring in our conceding goals. I mean, I guess there's two points to come out of that from me. I think I think, I think, think Lewis is the root cause of the first goal um, all day long. Bates, maybe McCrory could maybe do a bit better, but I think from their perspective, they are beginning to look at taking an attacking position up in, in the way they're set up at that moment in time so they, they react a little bit slowly I admit but I think that they I think they've got every expectation that the keeper should be doing better than he does Gav you touched on it there about you know the manager not trusting Gary Woods and I think I tweeted out at the time during the game there's this, the save that Lewis makes just after half time where the ball gets flashed across from the free kick and it comes through a pile of bodies and he reacts really quickly to hook his arm on and save it now for me Gary Woods probably doesn't save that based on what I saw of him last season and if you go back to Gary Woods' statistics um, when he was at Hamilton which is the most recent sample size you can use for playing in Scotland his expected save percentage is really really low it's not a particularly it's not particularly good and if there's a question mark here from the manager about whether he trusts Gary Woods to to be playing in the first team that to me does become a an issue at the manager's door because he signed him so you know if he's if he's decided he was here to play, or if he's decided he's here, to, he's good enough to sign us a, a contract, then he should be good enough to go in the first team. But now, I feel like you say there, Gav. I feel that the manager's probably caught between a bit of a rock and a hard place on that one because while Woods might be better with the ball at his feet, I don't think he's as good a shot stopper, generally speaking, as Joe Lewis is. Notwithstanding the fact that Lewis sells the shirts for me for two goals today, the first and the third. On a positive note, I thought obviously it was good that Ramirez got on score sheet today. Really good header, uh, a fine, a really well worked free kick. I thought, um, I thought Hedges again made a huge difference to the way that we play. I actually thought Bates and McCrory were, were okay in parts today. I didn't, I didn't feel at any time really that they uh, personally. I didn't feel threatened with Simon coming forward at us with those two players in the centre of the park. It got a bit frantic towards the back end of the game where we were just all over the place you know, just across the team at that point. I, but I thought, personally, I thought they looked okay in there. I'd, I'd probably give them a little bit more time uh, to try and find a, a partnership in there that will work. Apart from that, so there's not a lot of other positive things to take out of that, other than the fact that we went a goal behind and, and sort ourselves out and went at halftime 2-1 up, which I think showed for me a lot of character at that point, given where we've been the last few weeks, where we've gone a goal down and we've not been able to get back into games or we've ended up conceding again. That, to me, showed a lot of character, but it was just disappointing to see the character completely disappear after Jenks was then sent off. Yeah, and I can't believe I'm about to uh, voice agreement with this individual, but I think Chris Boyd said at halftime that, you know, our first goal, it's, it's scrappy. It's Scott Brown probably doesn't know much about it, but it was maybe just a, a stroke of luck that we needed to, to turn our fortunes around, and that's how it looked at that point. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. It looked like, you know, it's a good sign of character because when you go 1-0 down away at Paisley, given the form we've been in, it would be very easy for our guys to just drop their heads and become a really painful afternoon for us. But then you speak of character and I didn't see any character when we went ten, went down to 10 men. And that's the really... That combined with, I think, Glass's lack of reaction or proactivity in terms of changing either system or personnel at that point 
that was two very very concerning aspects of our uh, of where we're at right now for me yeah i think that's all fair enough there were more things to like from the first half notwithstanding the sort of the quality of the goal we conceded um, but we did get a couple and you're right the, the scott brown one was fortunate but sometimes that's just what you need and you know a decent delivery get the right people in the right places these kind of things can happen so that's fair enough. The Ramirez header was excellent. Not only the, the actual execution of the header was excellent. Uh, I think you mentioned in the intro, Gary, that was good to see what looked like a routine we've worked on actually pay off. We'd been wondering where were these routines? We'd seen a couple early on in the season. And then it felt like it generally our set piece delivery had been Ramsey chipping in and, you know, with predictable lack of success. So, yeah, I think the second half was... The red card, yeah, it does change it, but I don't think you should change it that much that quickly. Uh, we're we're just really soft currently. I and mean, again, if we'd been, I feel like if we'd been cut open and it was the man light that made the difference, that's a little bit different. But when you look back at the goals that we can see, I think I mentioned before, the balls in the box, where we had plenty of numbers. That's not, in my opinion, the fact that it was 10 against 11. That's just an inability to defend. And I, I don't quite know how he fixes that because again as I've mentioned on more than one occasion don't actually think if you look at McCrory individually didn't really do anything wrong today in my opinion he's a decent player I know it may or may not be his position David Bates looks like a decent player and a decent defender you know Ramsey McKenzie all across the back I don't think it's a lack of quality but for whatever reason they just don't seem to be able to do their job individual errors are killing us it's kind of as simple as that I mean you look at the first goal, it's an individual error that, that's the root cause of it. Third goal, it's an individual error on, on Lewis's part. It's as clear as day. Second goal, submitting, they work it well. I think Brown can probably do better against McGrath in the centre of the park. Bates maybe sells himself a little bit easy. He buys the dummy, down he goes. It's a good finish. There's, there's not really much that Lewis can do about the finish. I think there it's worth mentioning that Ryan Hedges sees the boy Ronan make the run and passes him off to someone else. Yeah, that, that's an absolutely fair point. And this is something that seems to be a case where people are just not willing to take responsibility. Wow, I've just used that term. Oh my, that's, oh my God, I've just had like PTSD to be back in the South Stand. Yeah, there we go. We need to take some Shit, it's all, it's all come full circle. You are now those guys. Oh my God, fucking hell. It's only taken us 11 episodes, Gav, but we've broken you. I think, I think that's, I think they finally broke me actually without even being here. I think as well for me though, today, it's the experienced members in our squad that didn't really step up to the plate when we go down to 10 men. I, I thought I, I thought there was a distinct lack of leadership from Scott Brown, for example. I didn't really see any of anything from him that I would have expected to see in a team that's gone down to 10 men, backs against the wall a little bit. Um, Lewis, obviously, is an experienced player. Lewis Ferguson is an experienced player at this level now. I would expect more from him in that situation. Johnny Hayes... Again, I expect more out of an experienced player in that situation. I expect certainly a lot more than the stupid lunge he put in at, at the very end of the game. He's a very lucky boy, in my view, not to be sent off for that and then be suspended for the Celtic match next week. Yeah, that was absolutely ridiculous. Parking everyone's view on how close you should be to the team, that is absolute lunacy. And yeah, it's a good job he didn't, which is quite remarkable, actually, considering it was Willie Collum, who's not, not usually... Um, holding back with cards or red cards, the, the fact that he just got the yellow. And yeah, it's just not a good example to set. Actually, there's an experienced player. Yeah, it looked like he was just frustrated. That's fine. Everyone on the pitch should have been frustrated, but that was dumb. Uh, really dumb, and that could have come back to bite us. 
but we we do now come, I think, to to quite an interesting position now for the manager. Um, Gav, you kind of touched on it, and and people have been talking about it on Twitter tonight as well about you know, is he going to have to think about abandoning his principles or his philosophy, or whatever you want to talk about, the way he wants to play football? Is he going to have to potentially abandon that for a period of time here to try and at least make us difficult to to beat or difficult to score goals against, whatever that ends up looking like? And kind of start building again from that position, try and get something on the board and then start looking to implement some of these kind of ideas again. Because for me, I don't know, did you guys listen to the, the um, Graham Hunter interview with Stephen Glass this week? I have not listened to it yet. Okay. So without wanting to just kind of spoil it for him, and I would encourage anyone to go and listen to it. Um, I actually think Stephen Glass talks about the game well, and we all know that just talking about the game doesn't mean anything, but he does talk about the game well. But one thing I did think that was a bit, little bit, interesting or odd and what he was talking about was this idea that I think he sees changing too often as being a sign of weakness you know if you're not willing to back your beliefs and your philosophy and stuff that that's a sign of weakness and you can kind of take that and one way I agree with him but on the other hand I also go that's just being stubborn for being stubborn's sake um, if it's not working then you need to change it and just continually doing the same things over and over and over again is and expecting different results is, is obviously the definition of madness etc so I do wonder if he even will consider changing the way he wants to play at the moment because it doesn't feel as though it's in his makeup. And Gav, you made a very good point about this as well. The thing I was most surprised about today, notwithstanding the, the lack of leadership and the lack of character I think we saw after we went down 10 men, was the fact that the bench didn't react to the red card at all. We did nothing as far as that was concerned. And then eventually we take Jet and um, Samuels on for Ramirez and Hedges, but that's when we're chasing the game at that point. And I'm very surprised to see that given we saw Stephen Glass in the early stages of this season being more than happy to make rapid, instant decisions and changing things very quickly. Listen, I'll go on record. I don't have my coaching badges or my A license, but if anyone out there, either you guys or anyone in Twitter world can just tell me when you're down to 10 men, why the fuck you bring Jet on? I second that. No idea. I, I mean, I thought Ramirez looked like he was kind of done. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate that. Um, for me, when the red card happened, what I would have done, and again, this is what I would have done, I would have hooked Ramirez and I would have hooked probably Hedges and I've got Gallagher on to get bodies in the defensive area and give ourselves an outball with Austin Samuels up front. But like I said, we did nothing and we left ourselves exposed. And yeah, like I say, that's not the manager that I saw how many, how many weeks have we done this show? 11 now? So what, just a matter of four or five weeks ago? So yeah, like you say, the McCrory thing's maybe an example, maybe Lewis is an example, but yeah, he seems very stubborn and that his way is the right way. And that's, well, right now, right now we know it's not the right way. Yeah, going back to your sort of earlier original question, Gary, around will he maybe have to take a look at his principles and his style the bottom line is, yeah, because he's not going to be a job for very long if he doesn't. If this continues, then he might be the most principled manager in the world and he might have the best ideas, but it's not working. The thing is, like, a, a sort of sticking or twisting, we can't defend and we can't really attack. So it's going to sound stupid. I don't mind which way he goes, but he has to stick and twist on something. So either we need to be really difficult to beat and we're getting nil-nils or we might sneak a goal or we need to be scoring four and hoping we don't concede four or five, you know, but we don't do anything well. It's how it feels at the moment. And 
sometimes you maybe just do need to look at, like almost take the pitch in thirds. There's the defence, there's the midfield and the forwards. Now, what what is our priority or what do we think we could easily fix? And if it was the case that we could maybe just shut up shop a bit better and just get a couple of results, stop the rot, to use the old footballing terminology, doesn't really bother me. If you then decide, or if you took the other view and said, right, actually, we're already exposed, so nothing changes if I go and make us more attacking. That's what I'm going to do. And we do start putting some goals in. It just feels like we are kind of in a no-man's land where we don't do anything well. And if he really is of the opinion that basically acknowledging your weaknesses and your mistakes is a weakness, I would question how far he's going to go in management full stop, never mind what he may or may not achieve with Aberdeen. Anyone who can't look past their faults is going to struggle to achieve anything. For me, maybe this is my pragmatic uh, mindset coming into play here, but for me, I'd say first things first, let's make ourselves hard to score against. I think I saw a chart today that we're conceding over one and a half goals a game um, in the time Stephen Glass has been in charge. Today, we've conceded three. You know, we conceded two to Motherwell. There's only so many games that you're going to, you know, outscore the opponent, you know, to that, you know, to that degree. So, yeah, for me, yeah, get back basics, build a base, give ourselves a foundation where we can realistically go out to win football games. Because right now, we're making it, we're giving ourselves mountains to climb every single game. Yeah, I think we've all mentioned the amount of games today be another one where we go a goal behind straight away. You're you're up against it. If you could, even if you're just getting nil-nil at halftime, you know, get, get into the game, gives maybe the players a bit more confidence, etc. does give you a platform to build from. So you're right, it probably is the way to go. I'm just not actually sure. It's obviously not that easy as him coming on Monday and saying, right, boys, it's self-decapitology, so we're just going to keep this one tight and grow into the game. If it was that simple, he'd have done it weeks ago. I mean, devil's advocate on it, though, right? Is there a lot of overreaction to this one today because of the run we've been on? And so this just appears like a continuation. But if you if you, if you you split the game into the two halves, first half, I thought we were really comfortable, notwithstanding the goal. First half, I thought we were comfortable. I thought we were playing some decent stuff. I thought that, you know, we were getting the ball up the line, up to like Sir Jenks and stuff. We were putting decent balls in the box, which is something we've been lacking in the last few weeks. I thought Ramirez looked a lot more effective today. We saw two set pieces leading to goals. Thought we looked reasonably comfortable at the back on the whole. We're controlling the game, generally. It's 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 individual errors again. I, I don't think Jenks, you know, we need to put some responsibility on Jenks as well here. It's a silly challenge to make when you're already in a booking. Um, that leaves us in a hole. But that doesn't, I'm not trying to say that this excuses the, the way we capitulated, etc. But at the same time, from the manager's perspective, he probably has a, He's got a reasonable expectation, I would suggest, that his senior players out on the pitch should do better than what they do as well. Yeah, yeah. The the Jenks one's a good point. He's even though he is on a yellow and he is still young, you still know what you can and can't do. So you're right, the manager has an expectation that he's not going to go and do anything that was, in my opinion, a little a little silly. Especially as the St. Miran player was facing his own goal. He was he wasn't going anywhere. It's just it's a needless tackle, you know. Yeah, if he if he took one for the team, and you were all thinking, "Ugh, that's annoying," but the guy was straight through. You've got to do it. That's a totally different scenario. We would would probably all do that in his position. You're right. That was a it was a needless challenge, uh, and obviously the the impact of that was yeah, it was pretty severe. You're right. Him getting sent off wasn't isn't a 
a means of justifying the way we fell apart, but clearly it didn't help because you're right, the first half was much better and we'd continued into the second half. I know Lewis had that great reaction save early on, but it did look like we were actually going to get something out of the game for a change. And I don't, it's a, it is a difficult one about the overreacting. You're, you're absolutely right to a point. This was a much better performance in parts than we had last Saturday and we possibly even had the week prior to that. But, but there has to come a point where there has to be an acknowledgement of the, the lack of results and at what point do we almost stop trying to find positives or excuses for, for losing every week. Now, admittedly, I did watch the um, the Alex Ferguson documentary last night. So maybe uh, what I'm about to say is, you know, should be tinted by, I'm referencing arguably the greatest manager of the game, certainly in Britain has ever seen. But like you say, a lot of goals we've conceded are a result of individual mistakes. And as I've mentioned earlier, I think there's a lack of character in the team when we're faced with difficult circumstances. And for me, that's a reflection of the manager. I think the way that a team deals with those situations and its character is reflective of what the manager is instilling in that team. So, yeah, I would say it's an overreaction if today's an isolated result, but it's eight games without a win. It's the worst run of form since 2020. Like, that cannot be ignored. So I wouldn't say it's an overreaction, personally. It is also, generally speaking, his squad as well. Oh, and again, yeah, as I said last week, he's been substantially backed. Yeah, so in previous sort of eras, there has been an element of, well, it's not his players, I'm never too sure what difference that really makes, but by and large, he's got what he wanted and he's still not able to do anything with it. With a slight caveat that seven league games, it's, you know, for another 30 league games down the road and we're still round about uh, the bottom of the table in the forms dismal, then we really do, but have something to be complaining about. But it's just, yeah, so it's a... It's not a very good trend, and when you maybe want it later, when you look at the the fixtures we face, there are no easy games, and I do mean that. But you're not looking at that and thinking, even if we were playing in general, we'd be coming out that uh, round of fixtures with a tidy points haul. So we're in a bit of a sticky situation at the moment, and I don't see how it's going to get any less sticky. And let's be honest, if it's not for the Livingston goalkeeper throwing one in the net for us, the record looks even worse. I absolutely, I completely agree. I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that the the run we're on is not good enough and it's not acceptable. Um, and I guess it's not. I don't know. For me, is it about finding excuses or try to you know justify stuff? Sometimes I don't think it is. Sometimes I think it's just about actually looking at the facts as they are in front of us. And you know, you're right. The manager's been backed heavily. Um, he's been able to bring in effectively what you be, what you would believe is his is his set of players. It's a question I have. It's still about you know. And again, I see people talking about it today about philosophy and inverted commas and all that kind of good stuff. And he's not capable of getting his philosophy across to the, the, the team. Now, fundamentally, I kind of disagree with that to an extent because I think you can see the team are trying to do different things from what we've done. It's not like the team are completely ignoring whatever he, they're being told to do. You can see what we're attempting to do. The issue is around the execution on the pitch. That's where the issue for me lies. But today was the first time I was surprised to see a lack of a lack of changes a lack of reaction to what was happening on the pitch by the manager and that is worrying from my perspective and Gav you touched on the Daniel Stendel thing earlier on I mean I don't know if we're necessarily in that position quite yet but 
let's see what happens over the next few weeks because it might not be too far that might not be too far away that those comparisons become more and more valid i'm still nowhere near that situation of you know going out in a potato with a spray can and you know spraying on the club shop window glass out or anything like that but we can't, you can't be blind to what we see and it's another defeat to a team that with the best will in the world you know St Mirren are a decent enough team but we should be beating them if we want to do anything we should, we need to be beating them we need to be beating St Johnston Motherwell Ross County it's one point from 12 there's no way you can legislate for that as, as an Aberdeen as an Aberdeen fan or Stephen Glass as an Aberdeen manager yeah, maybe just sort of last point. The individual errors, that is a theme, and you're absolutely right. What I can't decide is, is that the manager's fault, as in he's trying to make, he's putting players in positions they're not used to and they're uncomfortable with, as in even though they're his players, they're not capable of doing what he wants, in which case he does need to then kind of just accept, okay, I'm not going to get to play the way I wanted this season. I've got these guys, they're good at certain things, and some of them are very good at certain things. So I'm just going to have to go back to that, ride it out, and then, you know, I can clear them out or whatever it may be. Because generally speaking, you know, to go back to Lewis, Lewis is not prone to making errors on a regular basis. Ross McCrory's not a daft player. David Bates is not a daft player, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of wonder, don't get the impression that they're, you know, they're not playing for the manager or anything like that. They're not trying but there's a reason why people make mistakes and from personal experiences usually because you're not too sure what you're supposed to be doing or you're out of your comfort zone. And when it's happening every week, then there's got to be something, in my opinion, fundamentally wrong with what he's asking them to do because they're some of them are still young men, but they're experienced footballers, especially the sort of level we're looking at. And if he's not able to address that or he's unwilling to, then that... Um, that's going to become a problem. There is that, the sort of flip side to that might be he kind of needs to try it out and the only way to try it out is in games. So you, you know, unfortunately, yeah, there's no, there's not a sort of um, practice league, is there, where he can try it out during the week. I know there's training, etc., but it's not the same. So maybe he is just in this period of, this is what I want to do. I have to be able to see if they can do it. And it doesn't seem to be quite working out. And then the real, the real piece will be if he can then, get that back and now whether that's just going defensive or putting people in boxes they may be a bit more comfortable with and we we get through the season from his point of view and then we start to change it but something has to give sooner rather than later because this this can't really continue agreed one word summation of that one poor rancid pish graham hunter skill pish so moving on let's have a look at other news from Pathology this week. So the women's team, they recorded a goalless draw at Ainsley Park Stadium as they maintained their strong start to the SWPL1 campaign. A good result against the Spartan side who are mainstays of the top flight and that leaves the Dons unbeaten in three with clean sheets in all three of those games to boot as well. One change to the Aberdeen side that started in last week's victory against Hamilton. Bailey Collins coming back into the side in place of Natasha Bruce. Captain Kelly Forrest and Bailey Hutchison and last season's top scorer Fran Ogilvie all missing out again. A scrappy game in the main, Dawnskeeper Gail Gilmore called into action on several occasions to keep Spartans at bay. 
with Ava Thompson and Lauren Gordon going closest for the Dons. All in all, a solid point on the road for the women as they keep up their good start to the campaign. And that's made all the more impressive with the continued injury issues plaguing the side. Next up for Emma Hunter and Gavin B. side is a visit of Hearts to the Balmoral Stadium next Sunday. And looking at the young team, the Dons followed up their 1-1 draw with Dundee United with a thumping 4-0 hammering over Kilmarnock at Cormac Park in the Cass Under-18 League. Ryan Duncan continuing his fantastic start to the campaign with another double, bringing his tally for the season to nine. And Alfie Babbage also finding the, night, the net twice, rounding off another excellent victory for Barry Robson's side. And on Loan Watch this week, Michael Ruth got the full 90 minutes for Falkirk as they scraped a 2-2 draw at Montrose, having been 2-0 down with 15 minutes remaining. Initial reports appeared to suggest that Ruth had got the equaliser, but the highlights make it clear that it was ex-Don Seb Ross's deflected cross. It had already crossed the line before Ruth nudged it into the empty net. Mark Gallagher returned to the starting lineup for Forfer and played a key role in assisting Steph McCluskey's Oper as the Loons eventually ran out 3-1 victors over Albion Rovers at Station Park. Gallagher lasting 17 minutes before being substituted. Connor Barron returned from injury for Kelty Hearts as they maintained their unbeaten start to life in the senior setup. A 1-0 victory over Strenraer, pushing Kelty four points clear in League Two. Barron coming off the bench for the final 25 minutes, although fellow Dons Loney Kieran Nguenya didn't make the squad. And in the Highland League, Huntley strengthened their squad further with the loan signing of goalkeeper Tom Ritchie, who joins fellow Dons Loney Jack McIver at Christie Park. Ritchie handed a debut straight away with McIver also in the starting lineup as Huntley beat Fort William 3-0, with McIver also grabbing his first goal for Huntley. Elsewhere, Tyler McKeita and Kevin Hanrati both start for from Martin United as they run out 5-1 winners over Cumnock Juniors in their first round replay in the Scottish Cup. McKeita with the third of for Martin's goals. Jack Milne returned to the starting lineup for Brecon City as they thumped Forest Mechanics by four goals to one, with Milne playing out the full 90 minutes in that one at Glebe Park. And finally, Luke Turner retained his place in the starting lineup for Cliftonville as they saw out a 1 0 win over one point as they maintained their unbeaten start to the Northern Irish Premiership that sees them hold a six point lead over Coleraine after only six games this season. And lastly, a lot of chat online this week about ticket pricing. Uh, certainly in relation to the upcoming match against Celtic. Now, the Dons may be correcting themselves a little bit with the introduction of this Pick 6 initiative where you can access six games you're choosing in the gold and silver areas of the stadium, looking to try and bridge a gap between those who can't commit to a season ticket but still want to attend a number of games. Looks like pretty good value, actually, especially in the youth category, working out at about £13 a game. Chaps, any, any particular thoughts on that? On your first point around the prices for the Celtic match... I don't really think anyone in the club has really read the room on that one. Ignoring actually the form, those prices are pretty spicy anyway, in my opinion. And if you, I mean, I appreciate they don't set the prices the day before, you know, they've got their budgets and all that boring stuff to work out, but I feel like they could have handled that a little bit better. The run of form we're in and the fact that generally speaking, you would want a good um, strong crowd to give you your best shot against Rangers and Celtic to piss a lot of people off for that pricing strategy wasn't too smart the pick six looks good again there are a lot of good things the club has done uh, we've spoken about the Red Shed initiative and the, the painting and the other bits and pieces that's a new initiative that looks quite good because I'm, we hear quite often there are plenty of people that would like to go it's just the way their life works and they can't necessarily commit to a season ticket, for example. So that looks like a really good deal, but the 
Yeah, the Celtic tickets. That doesn't seem like the best um, bit of PR from the club. Yeah, uh, much in agreement. Um, in the recent years, I've not been able to commit to a season ticket because of my work schedule. So something like the um, pick six would have been very, very appealing to me at that time. And yes, to echo the sentiment, um, I don't want to see people being priced out of football. I think football has been taken away from the people enough as it is. And the tickets, prices that are going around for Celtic, notwithstanding the fact that the team is, let's be honest, a little bit shit right now. It's just, it's a joke. So, and especially when you think of how the reaction was to what was it, the Breathlebit game, and then how the club responded for Carabag to then go back on that and charge what is up to £36 for a ticket in the South Stand, I think. Uh, no, the 36 is in the platinum areas. I think a lot of people were getting hung up on that bit, but it was still the South Stand, a ticket in there is over is 30 or 32 quid. Yeah. So if you make that a if you make that a couple or a family of four, then it's just not viable. I saw some people on Twitter saying it's just the, it's the price of things. Is that's how it goes? And for me, that's not how it goes. Football should be accessible to everyone. And that was just, yeah, Graham said it best. It's a piss take. So while we all dream about a socialist utopia when it comes to the ticket price, and let's have a look at the Fantasy Football Scotland League this week. Dinamo Dreadful, Cal Wilson maintains himself up at the top of the table. 79 points, 464 with Imus Kabamba, 83 points. The magic number, 83, obviously. Tying for the lead on 464 as well. And then romping into third spot. John Easton, you filthy, filthy individual. Grey Growlers, 77 points, 460 points altogether. Delighted to see that the Queen's Eleven slipped down the table this week into 17th spot on a downward trajectory. That's what we like to see. How about you guys? How did you get on? I scored a pretty impressive 47 points. And when I say it's pretty impressive, my goalkeeper didn't score anything, my defence didn't score anything, and about three of my midfielders got like a point between them. So I think it was Boyce, Tony Watt and Ramirez that pretty much got me the scores. So I am now sitting in 180th, so I've actually slipped down the table from last week. Do you want to tell us who you've got in goals? <laughs> I have uh, everyone's favourite goalkeeper at the moment, Joe Lewis. So <laughs> I, might, I might have to address that. And I have to confess, I tried to transfer Ramirez out, but couldn't find a suitable striker that wasn't from them. So in order to adhere to our petty rules, I kept them in. So that worked out this week, but uh, yeah, it might be time to swap out Lewis. Graham, you, you say petty, I say what makes Scottish football beautiful. Worked out well for you, though, mate, because I, I did drop Ramirez this week, and that has turned out to be a shocker of a decision. Well, that makes me feel a bit better. Well, for myself, I thought this was a pretty solid week, actually, 58 points. I thought that would like, really bump me up the table. It's only moved me up seven places. Um, I tell you what, though, Lee Griffiths is getting bombed out of my team faster and harder than... Well, faster and harder than he kicks a live pyrotechnic into a confined space of living, breathing human beings. The big doofus that he is. He was just meaning to tap it off the pitch, Gav. What are you on about? And as you've alluded to, if that's the state of his first touch these days, then thank fuck we steered clear. Absolutely. No, 100% on that one. Myself, 52 points this week, and I thought, again, that'll be decent. That'll, that'll get me maybe even at the top 100. I've dropped down 11 places. I don't know what's going on. Competitive week this week. Um, all good. So this weekend sees 
the first visit of one of the ugly sisters to Pataudry is Ange Postacoglu's Celtic side make the journey north. What are we expecting on this one? Well, as we've done for all our opponents this year, I'm going to go into a brief overview of Celtic. And I say brief because if we were to go into all the ingoings and outgoings and inner turmoil that has been Celtic Football Club for the last 18 months, we'll be here until when I'm editing episode 12. So brief little uh, synopsis of what's been going on. I mean, everyone probably knows Edward left for Crystal Palace. Iyer not challenged sufficiently playing in the SPL, you know, losing twice to, I think, Ross Kempney. Moved to Brentford. Uh, Ryan Christie, ex-Aberdeen player, moved to Bournemouth. Scott Brown has obviously seen the light and came to Aberdeen. Uh, Lee Griffiths handed a lifeline by <laughs> Ange Postecoglou. And then he logged onto his Instagram account, and we all know how that story goes. And finally, most, I mean, most upsettingly of all, Shane Duffy ended his masterclass of the satirical performance art on the concept of defending and is now back as a pretty solid, reliable <laughs> defender in the Premiership. So, what league really is Tinpot? That's all I ask there. Um, <laughs> And then incoming, you know, they've signed a lot of players, but like Joe Hart has come from Spurs. I can't wait to be at Patojo next week and shout at Joe Hart. James McCarthy signed from Crystal Palace. I think Postacoglu has since said that he had no interest in James McCarthy, so <laughs> the show is all as well. Um, Jota from Benfica, Cameron Carter-Vickers from Spurs, Carl Starfelt from Ruben Kazan, and Kyogo Furuhashi, who's probably their one success story of this, uh, this transfer window so far. And thankfully, I think we'll probably be still injured for next week. That is a good thing to know. Um, so I can't wait for, what's that clown? Is it Alietti? Yeah, can't wait for him to get a hat-trick. Um, Celtic, you know, they were knocked out of the Champions League um, in the group stage of the Europa League now. As far as, I guess, most pertinently, their domestic fortunes go, it's the league record shows three wins, three defeats, and today, we're recording this on Sunday, they drew 1-1 with Dundee United which is terrible because even we beat Dundee United. With a clean sheet. and like With a clean sheet as well. So, you know, when you look at them, they've scored 17 goals, conceded five. Yeah, I mean, Celtic, they are a mess of a club. <laughs> <laughs> let's, call, let's, call, let's call a spade a spade. But also, they're probably looking forward to coming to Pataudry next week. <laughs> yeah, of, of all the clubs they might want to visit in their next match, this is probably high on the list, I would think. Well, I mean, I don't know what... I can't name a Celtic podcast off the top of my head, but I mean, I'm sure they're also saying Aberdeen. They are a shit show of a club. So what, what, what do we expect? What do we think? I mean, how do we approach this game next week, do you think? I remember when we talked to Fuad about the game with Carabag, or maybe it might, might have been you guys with Martin Stone, and you were talking about maybe the idea about sitting in and making the game difficult and then grow into the game. Well, I think it's safe to say we just cannot do that. Not that we shouldn't do it, we just can't do it. So, all guns blazing. All guns blazing. 7-6 win. Why the fuck not? This part of me thinks that all guns blazing might work because they're not... They don't have that, you know, air of, I don't know, if invincibility is the right word. There's a, For the last few seasons, there was an inevitability every time we played Celtic. Generally speaking, it didn't matter. Home, away, what sort of competition, what sort of injuries or problems we thought they had. That's kind of out the window uh, for, for this Celtic team. And 
you look at the results they've had, you would kind of take that and say, well, there's no reason why we can't get anything. For example, if they're dropping points at home to Dundee United, that's, generally speaking, that's quite a rare occurrence. However, we can't defend and we don't seem to be all that great at scoring. So I'm really not too sure what to expect. It's two teams that are probably not in, you know, not, not full of confidence, that's probably fair to say, not on great runs for what they would expect. So I feel like it might be quite an open game. I just can't decide if that suits us or not. It doesn't suit us in one way, their defence isn't great. But on the other hand, if it takes away this idea that we might, might want to sit in and try and soak up some pressure, you're absolutely right. I just don't see how we can do that. So maybe just going at them might actually be our best chance. I mean, we might benefit a little bit from the fact that in Europa League duty on Thursday night against uh, Bayer Leverkusen, obviously Celtic lost their opening Europa League tie 4-3 at Betis. So it's probably fair to say Celtic really need to get something out of that game on Thursday night. So it's not as they're going to go into that game and, and, and rest players, I guess. So they then have to very swiftly um, make the trip up to Aberdeen. That might, I guess, help us out because Celtic do seem to be struggling a little bit with some injuries at the moment. But you're right. I mean, if you look at the record, I think they've scored 17 goals in the league this season. They've conceded five. I mean, I know that Furuhashi is a huge miss for them in terms of their goal-scoring ability, so maybe that does play in our hands slightly. But, I mean, honestly, the way that both teams are playing at the moment next week, I can see that game being a 4-3, 5-4, a ridiculously high-scoring game, which probably for the neutral will be highly entertaining. But if you're an Aberdeen fan, probably not so much. It definitely feels like there's not going to be a nil on either column, doesn't it? I saw St Mirren fan today, like, querying why I was like, there will definitely not be a nil in the St Mirren goal column today. And he's like, oh, there'll be, uh, it could be three, three nil-nil draws in the trot here for us. It's like, you've not watched us this season, have you? Like, there is no danger we end up with a nil, or that you end up with a nil, sorry. No, but they have watched Curtis Main, so maybe that's why I was thinking that. Well, Stevie May one week, Curtis Main the week after. Are there any garbage ex-Aberdeen players in the Celtic team we need to be worried about? I think, thankfully, we're all right on that front. So, predictions then for next week? I think we're going to fluke a 3-2 because I have to be positive this week. Oh, Graham, you're going to lose your fan club with that positivity. <laughs> I Yeah, why the hell not? Yeah, this will be the game that it all turns around for glass. I like it. Well, that's becoming a recurring catchphrase of this podcast. We should probably trademark a copy like that. <laughs> um, a repeat of last season's 3-3 draw. With no Lee Griffiths equaliser. With no Lee Griffiths equaliser. Uh, so for me, I'm going to go with Graham. I'm going to go positive. Aberdeen 2, Celtic 1. Eddie Howe still not manager of Celtic, obviously. That's my other prediction. <laughs> Jake, they're still waiting on him phoning them back. I quite like the idea of any time there's an incoming call to Celtic, they're like, no, don't you're tying up the line. <laughs> get, off, get off the phone we might be waiting for him Eddie might be phoning yeah 2-1 um, Ramirez hit the goal trail today so I'm going to give him one and Ryan Hedges there we go and then just to make us all look stupid Lewis with a 90th minute penalty save but there we go so um, one draw two victories come on you Reds so that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break for our exclusive interview with James Graham from the Twilight Sad. To play us out, it's only fitting that we pop on a track from the Sad. So here's VTR from their last album. It won't be like this all the time. Follow the guys over on Twitter at the Twilight Sad. And if you like what you hear, be sure to check out their discography. 
which is all available at thetwilightsad.bandcamp.com. So here's The Twilight Sad with VTR.
Welcome back to part two of the ABZ Football Podcast. We are delighted to continue our series of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past and present and well-kent Aberdeen fans. Joining us this week, he's one of the founding members of one of Scotland's most beloved bands, The Twilight Sad, together with being the co-founder of the band Outlines and guest vocalist with a number of other bands such as Fighting Rabbit, Aidan Moffat and Minor Victories. Oh, and he happens to be a massive dandy as well. It's James Graham. So James, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me. Uh, sorry it's taking so long. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks. Thanks. Sunday night. Um, I'm pleasure to speak to you all. Um, thank you again for having me. But we're all absolutely massive fans of your work, both in the Twilight Sad and in your other ventures as well. And let's talk football to begin with. So, always been a football fan. I think it probably started from like primary six and seven. Uh, and I think I got enrolled, like enrolled, I got, my dad wanted me to start, I don't know, just an activity, if you know what I mean. And I played for like a boys club, I played for Kilsyth Boys Club and then Milton Campsey, played with them. And then I played with Cumbernauld Hearts as well. Um, but I always had kind of bad asthma, so it never. I really kind of was out injured quite a lot just by like having asthma attacks and stuff like that. But I grew out of that, which is good. But um I would say that I, from that age, that was it. And that I was given, I told right away when I was younger that I wasn't allowed to support Rangers or Celtic. Um, so <laughs> we, uh, where I stay in, well, I stay in a small town, well, I used to stay in a small town called Banton, and it's beside uh, the bigger town called Scythe, and that's where I went to high school. And Colsythe's kind of split down the middle, uh, Protestant, Catholic, kind of, if you walk into the wrong side of, town with the wrong top on you're you're going to get your head kicked and um, I don't mean to paint it out like that but it's true um, and so my dad said you, you have to support somebody else um, and I picked Aberdeen because my mum's family are from up there from up Aberdeen way and my uh, my dad used to work up there sometimes like every second Tuesday so I'd go up to Aberdeen with him and yeah it was the closest next kind of connection that I had um, but it didn't really help me out because uh, if I had an Aberdeen top on in Colsyth and I went into the Rangers or the Celtic side, I'd get head kicked down anyway. So <laughs> it basically uh, didn't really work out for me that much. But uh, so that's yeah, that's 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 how I support Aberdeen. Can you pinpoint or recollect uh, where your real love for the Don started? So maybe that was when you were a little bit older, and you know it's your more of your own free will, if you like, that you're following Aberdeen. Uh, no excuses. <laughs> yeah, no excuses. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think it was, it was, the, my dad took me to a game. Uh, it was at Pataudry and it was in the, we were in the, the family stand, the Merkel stand. Uh, uh, and it was against Dundee United. And I think we won 2 1. I can't really remember the score. I just remember being kind of taken up by the the whole atmosphere and everything happened like never been in a stadium before um, but I'm pretty sure I remember we won and my sister and my mum came with me my sister doesn't support Aberdeen and my mum can't stand football so it was it was a weird family outing that we never did again <laughs> but I think, I think that's the first I think that's the first kind of memory of me going right that's me now I support I support this team um, and my dad grew up Probably, I think he grew up sporting Celtic because um, 
he was he lived in Colsaith and he went to a Catholic school and things like that. And he basically, yeah, it was Celtic or nothing <laughs> where they were. And um, he uh, he's converted with me. Uh, so he sports Aberdeen now as well. So Good over luck. the <laughs> um, don't say that Colsaith or you'll get you'll get absolutely. Uh, but uh, he. I kind of lost touch with it for a while when the bands first took off, like it took off, <laughs> definitely didn't take off, uh, slowly started to sneak along the ground of the music industry. Um, and it, I lost it I kind of just because I was so focused on that and we were away and the internet wasn't what it was. Um, but when I, after a while, I kind of, when I started to come home, I kind of used to start going with my dad again. And it was a reason to go at the football was, to spend time with my dad and kind of, I, that I kind of hold that really kind of, that's really fond memories, not of the football, um, but of uh, just spending time to and from the games, talking to each other about life. And I don't know, just those kind of moments that you get to spend with somebody close that you go to these things with. And it it shows that it's bigger than, than what actually happens on the field sometimes, you know? Um, so, yeah. That was a long-winded version of that answer. <laughs> I don't know how good our analytics are, but we'll we'll explore the possibility of blocking this episode in the Kilsyth area. Just keep your dad out of trouble, okay? Um, James, can you remember like your first proper footballing hero, Aberdeen? And we'll put you on the spot as well. Your favourite all-time Don? Zero Alley, I think, for me was... I don't know. They just they came around at a point where it was just exciting to have somebody from Morocco joining Aberdeen and then when he got to the point where he was he had number zero on the back of his top it was just like this is amazing plus he was just amazing it was like one of these players that just got the ball and you were excited when he got the ball and we've not really had a lot of that <laughs> over, the, over the years you know like you, you see Celtic and Rangers and things like that they can afford to to spend money on big kind of quality players and stuff like that I, I mean like flair players sorry um but zero, zero Alley just kind of made it for me. But I think Duncan Shearer and, and Stephen Glass, to be honest. Um, the, the picture, I can't get over any time I see Stephen Glass that he's not got a Coca-Cola cup mountain bike, you know. <laughs> uh, so, I, but Duncan Shearer was the main kind of striker when we got when I got, got into uh, football. But there's been loads over the years. Uh, aye, there's been loads. But I, I, Zero Alley, I've got like a top through there with... Uh, his name on the back from when I was that when I was when he was uh, when he was playing for us. Um, so yeah, hope that's an okay answer. <laughs> Perfectly valid answers. Yeah, I'll give I'll give you that. And it's interesting because we've had them. Um, you know, we were speaking to Adol Stavrin and we spoke to Ian Jess on last week's episode, and they both just touched on Zero Alley as well. Just about oh, really how unbelievably gifted he was as a as a footballer. Um, and you know, it's just a shame that we never really got, I guess we didn't get to see. You know what he could have actually become in the game, I suppose. Um, absolutely wonderful footballer. I think you're right. You're because obviously James, your age is with us as well, so we all missed you know Gothenburg and the, the the glory of the 80s and all that kind of stuff. So all we've ever known is like nonsense. Um, and so when you get players at like Zurali who just turn up, and even though they're just here for a fleeting moment, you're always going to remember them in the special kind of moments that they actually managed to create in teams that were, you know, let's not beat around the bush, shite on the main. <laughs> So it's a great choice. And I guess let's we have to sink into misery though. It's a podcast dedicated to Aberdeen Football Club. So um what's the worst Don's game? 
you've ever been at in the flesh? Uh, do you know it, it wasn't for the football and I, I, don't, I had a really kind of experience that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth if I'm being honest it was it was the cup final against Celtic not the one where uh, we, the Tom Rogic scored I was at that as well um, I mean that that was that was depressing for another reason but the least about that game is that we 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 were really in it for a long time in this game and we, we could have won it as well. So it's yeah, that, that hurts for a reason. But there was the one after that uh, against Celtic. I think it was a semi-final. I can't remember, actually. It was a semi-final at Hamden. And just the atmosphere before I even you got in the ground was just really toxic. And there's something about football that I've kind of, over the past couple of years, I've kind of fallen out of love with it. And then come back into love with it, if you know what I mean. Like, so I went to the game, and just the, the, the fans were just. I'm probably going to. Hopefully, I don't get absolutely destroyed here, but I'm just speaking the speaking the truth. Um, I loved going to a game when it feels like everybody's together, and it's not through kind of hatred of the other team. It's through passion for your own team, um, and I would say that that day, the Tom Rogic game, I definitely felt like. It was everybody was together, you know, and that, that that's a great feeling and what it should be about as far as I'm concerned. Um, because over the years I've found that going to the football, there's a lot of people that just go and take out their weekly frustrations on the 11 guys or 22 guys that are playing football that are kicking a ball about. And some of the stuff you hear is just unacceptable. Um, not so much from Aberdeen, I'll be honest, like, I've, I've, like but you know what it's like. It's like you've, we see it on football, we're hearing it on... Sky Sports News all the time now. Like I'm, I've never heard anything. Personally, I've never heard anything racist or anything like that. To be honest, but there's been some really horrible things said, and I don't know. It just it seems to be in the male psyche that we think it's all right to go and to go and do that amongst people. And and that day was one of it. One of the days, like I was queuing up outside, and the Celtic fan walked past, and he got like loads of people just jumped on him, and like I was just like what are we doing? <laughs> like, why are we doing this? It's like, it's a game of football. Like, that guy's just going to see his team. Like, we're just going to see his team. Our team, you know, like, and and then it just carried on from that game and I think that game was an absolute, I think we were getting beat by 10 minutes in anyway. Um, and it just, it left a real sour taste in my mouth, but maybe not just because of the performance. Um, I don't know if it's something you guys talk about, but like, I, I've definitely, over the past wee while, I love football so much, but there's aspects to it now that just really start to kind of jar with what I think's right and wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think um, for me, I certainly notice a difference in my approach to football attendance since I've become a, a, a father. I've, I've really noticed a difference in my way I, I feel about certain things. Um, and I don't know if that's now because I have that view about taking my kid to games in the future and stuff like that and then going... And I think that's that's something that's triggered with me. Before I would let away things that I've, I've like, oh, it's just just part of the part of the experience, part of the game. But it's like, why is it? I think for me, it's like, there's two parts. That for me, one is is that part, and then I think the second part for me is like, so my my wife is from um, just outside Glasgow. Um, mm -hmm. Grew up Catholic. Um, her her dad's a Celtic fan in name, although I think I've converted him actually. We won't uh, disclose that anywhere else. But I think as well, that was one of the things for me that, again, you know, she's like my, my wife's not a massive, she's not a 
I'm going to use inverted commas, which no one's going to see, but a proper Catholic, so to speak. She's a lapsed Catholic, so to speak. Um, but when you see the toxicity, especially around the Glasgow area, around the whole Protestant Catholic thing, and then, you know, you hear it from Aberdeen fans as well sometimes. That's one thing I, you do hear, you know, about calling folk, you know, Fenians or Tims and stuff yeah. like that, right? And it's just this idea about, well, it's just part and parcel of what we do, isn't it? And it's like, well, it's not really, because it's, it is that, whether you kind of want to admit it or not, it's a sectarian term. We shouldn't we shouldn't be doing it. I mean, I'm, I, sectarianism is the bane on our society. One of the banes in our society, as far as I'm concerned. I grew up in a place where it was Protestant and Catholic, and it was just schools separated, all that kind of stuff. And I, I mean, I'm not a religious person, but I think I, I, I've got no qualms with, well... <laughs> I've got, like, as far as, like, people that are religious and go to church and are good people, go to, like, uh, my gran was a devout Catholic and things like that. And, I like, one thing I really loved about her was that, well, lots of things she was my gran, <laughs> was that she never, uh, she never forced her opinion on anybody. It was like, this is what I do. It means something to me. And uh, if you want to ask me about it or join in, then fine. But if not, each to their own, you know, like, and... But the, where I grew up, it's like split down the middle, you know, like you've got the top half of somewhere and the bottom half of somewhere that just is split because of of religion. And it's just like, this is, I mean, we talk about equality and how we should be all coming together and like, we should. But sectarianism is one of the biggest things that's pushing people apart in our country. And it's just, half of the people don't even know what they're shouting about now, you know? Well, I think that's the biggest thing for me, is especially I think when I see it like it, amongst people in the Aberdeen support is because it's become this popular idea to, well, when we play Rangers, we'll call them this. And then yeah. when we play it, we'll call them that because we know it just gets a rise out of them. And to me, that's just the same argument that happens with a lot of Rangers and Celtic fans when they get involved in this, but they've actually got no fundamental understanding about what it is that they're actually, you know, getting involved in. They just do it because it seemed to be the thing to do. Um, and you're right, it's, it's a bane on society and it's something that does need to kind of, hope, you know, be, be stamped out sooner uh, sooner rather than later well my, my wife is from up um, the, the northeast area um, we actually we actually live up in the northeast now as well like we moved in February so like um, I remember speaking to her about it like she moved down to Glasgow went to go to uni and things like that um, and she was like before I moved down here I know knew nothing about this uh, Protestant Catholic sectarian she's like I knew nothing like this, it, like we just don't, it's not something that affects anything in the area to do with like, I don't know, even schooling or things like that, you know? And I think it's one of the reasons that we moved up this way as well. So, like, you know, I love Glasgow. Glasgow's part of me for the rest of my life. I, I, it's important place to me and I love it. But that again, that we talk about that being a really like something that's heavily involved in the culture there. And it's just depressing. I'm good friends with Rangers and Celtic fans, and they they agree. That's the thing. It's like they agree. It's like, and hopefully, though that section of uh, the the fans can push through. They just being decent to each other, you know. But um, yeah, I think we moved up here as well because I, I don't want to subject my my kids to that. And that that would like when you say about going to a game. Um, I'm very much going to be like, if he wants to go to a game, I'll take him to a game, but I'm not going to kind of 
pressure him if he doesn't because he's not showing any liking of football at all at the moment like took him to a football practice and he just sat down the whole time um, <laughs> oh, he likes the tops that's about it but um, it's going to be his decision but even with that point I don't know if I want to subject him to that you know yeah I think uh, those are all very valid uh, and important issues and you're right there's a well, we could spiral off for hours on the you know, what can be done to address it. So um, regular listeners will be surprised to hear me lifting the tone of the podcast. So I'm going to flip it around from your worst game to uh, what is your favourite Aberdeen match that you've ever attended? I, th- I was at the cup final against Cali Thistle. <laughs> it wasn't exactly the best game in the world, but we won. And that was, I mean, I got to see them lift a cup. I got to see Russell Anderson lift a cup. You know, I mean, that was... That was huge, and and uh, so that that's up there. I was at Partick Thistle when we Scott Wright kind of came onto the scene and scored that hat trick. But you less said about Scott the better now. Uh, <laughs> but that was great. It was great to see a young emerging talent like that come through, you know. And that was that was good. I I, I went to a lot of the away games because I uh, I stayed in Glasgow, so it was easier for me to kind of to do that. But my actually, I've thought about something that could. It's the best game, but it's the worst moment for me. Um, so I think it's a year. Of the, I think it's not a year of the day. I think it's the like the anniversary of James Madison's goal today. Today, is that right? I think it was yesterday. I think. Was it yesterday? Yesterday. Um, so I was at that game, and it was the night that I was part of the True North Festival that was doing the Kate Bush tribute thing, and. I knew I had to maybe leave a little bit early to go and do a sound check. And as I'm walking back out, I walked out of the stadium, walking down the road back towards town, and I just hear the crowd go absolutely mental. And I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you go and you look at the goal that was scored, and you're just like... And then I turned up, and I didn't need to be there at that point either. <laughs> <laughs> but that is, to be fair, that is the life of sound checking, isn't it? Aye, it was, I mean, it's the life of me. You know what I mean? A glutton for punishment. You know, even though, like one of the most memorable moments of the past five years for an Aberdeen fan, and I'm, I'm there, but I'm not in the ground. I was in the ground, but I'm not anymore. Aye, it's brilliant. Uh, I can't watch that goal without getting a sinking feeling in my stomach. Can't listen to uh, running up that hill without actually tri- thinking about running back into the stadium. Well, let it not be said that this podcast is anything about a, a roller coaster of emotions. So we'll go from worst game to best moment, kind of, to present day. And we're recording this a matter of hours after Aberdeen have just been beaten 3-2 by Sitmiran in uh, in Paisley. So James, we look at the Aberdeen of present day. Uh, what are your thoughts at the moment? Um, your thoughts on the appointment of Stephen Glass and how do you feel about in terms of what he's doing and do you think he should be given time to change the direction of the club? I think he should be given time, aye. Like, I just, I don't like the idea of hiring fire these days if it just, if we hit a bump in the road, you know, like, um, I started off, I think, like most of us, when the season started and the European stuff started, we're like, oh, what's going on here? Aberdeen are, well, there's some, playing some decent football, Um Scoring some goals, and I liked what I liked what Glass had to say. I, I like most people was like I didn't have any expectations because I just there wasn't 
there's not like any proven track records or anything on that on on that. And and Scott Brown signing, of course, everybody was all <laughs> there was a talking point, let's say that. Um but I was for it. I was I've always said that Scott Brown is somebody that you would rather have on your team than against you. Um and I really thought that he was starting to kind of galvanise the, the squad and it looked like there was a real, I don't know, a real positive feeling around the place. And then the last four weeks has just been really strange. I don't, it's been hard to watch. Uh, I, I like the glass, what was it last, was it last week or the week after? Like he, he admits when it's not good enough and I like what he says, but I mean, listen, Today is just another, like, I thought today we would win. I thought this was going to be the bounce back, but there's something, something's not clicking and I don't know what it is, but I don't, I, I don't, um, I'm not for, if it doesn't happen right away, then uh, sack him because if I did, if I believed in that, then I wouldn't be doing what I do. Um, our album didn't exact first album didn't exactly set the charts alight or anybody hear about us and it's about a progress and it is about working and, Taking the time, and but unfortunately, he's in an industry where that doesn't seem to, you don't seem to have that anymore. But I, I, I would like to give him more time. I'll, I'll definitely. I, I don't know what the chat is between in the fans if if people are. I know probably people will be unhappy because it's just like I mean, when are we ever happy? <laughs> um, but uh, I just I don't think the time's right. I think we've got to give this got to give it a. I've got to give it some time because I, I just explained that. I'm just going over in my head now. Going, well, <laughs> I, I think though, you're right. I mean, if again, if you look on social media today after the result, you know, it's it's very clear you've got a, a section they are being support. Now, whether it's just a very vocal section of it on social media, whatever, who are, I don't know, still upset or whatever about Derek McInnes being relieved of his duties. And so therefore it almost feels like... Is there a section of fans that are... Uh, that were disappointed that I would say so yeah I mean and I think it's still out there I think they're still very vocal then about whenever there's a bad result and you know there's bad results now for eight games nine games on the spin um but it feels to me that it almost didn't matter who was going to be brought in to the club there was kind of a, almost this hope lying lurking in the back of their minds somehow that it would be a failure so that they could be proven right that McInnes should not have been let go and I think well we've gone over this I don't know how many times on this podcast now that well, yeah, I think for me, and I think I speak for the other two guys as well. McInnes had to kind of go at, at some point. It was it was poor for the last two or three seasons, and he he was going to leave at the end of last season anyway. Um, he's admitted that himself. I, I I was I was never one of these people that were like McInnes out, McInnes out. But by the end of that period, it was like it's time for a change, and it's like, the, I mean, to not score a goal in what was it twelve games or something? I can't remember exactly how many it was. I know it was double figures. That that's I'm sorry, but that's too long. Like that that the and as much as I'm thankful for bringing a cup to the the team and um, the club, sorry, and the the years of of service and loyalty. That's the thing. Like that was something I was so proud of was how loyal he was. Like when the Sunderland stuff. Yeah, he went away and spoke to people, but who cares? You know, he stayed with us. You know, like um, and a lot of other people wouldn't have done that. You know. Um, but I thought I agree that I felt it was time. It was definitely time for a change. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, we'll touch on it later on um, in the rest of the, in the main part of the show. But I think 
I can't see a scenario right now where where the where the board, the chairman, are going to panic right now. Um, that said, there's a, 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 a an upcoming list October and November of very very tough fixtures. Um, it'll be interesting to see where we are at the end of that and whether or not then there's a, a lot more pressure put on, especially if we're kind of scrap around towards the bottom of the table. But it's not going to be an overnight an overnight fix. But I think we were all given a bit of maybe a false hope that it was a quick turnaround at one point. And we were like, oh, who's this? What's happening here? This play good football. We've got these new signings. This is looking good. And then obviously the past be well. So I don't think that's helped. <laughs> I think if we'd maybe stuttered a little bit more, it would have done his glasses case a little bit better because people would have been more forgiven and been like, right, well, right, it's going to take time instead of, well, we're playing really good football now. This because I—I'll be honest. I thought I was like, "Woof, really, really." This is looking good. I'm excited about this. Um, I but I mean, again, we should all be pretty well schooled, and that feeling doesn't last long. Um, being Scottish and being an Aberdeen fan, to be honest. Let, let's turn to the day job, James. So, um, obviously, the Twilight Sad. You guys released it won't be like this all the time in January 2019, and. It followed up your previous releases and receiving, you know, really widespread critical acclaim. And you followed this up in November of that year with a kind of short tour in the UK of like larger venues from what you've previously played in your own right um, as, as headliners. And it seemed to me at the time that that was like you guys on the, the edge, I guess, of really kind of starting to cut through on a larger scale. And then <laughs> roll around 2020 and COVID hits and throws everything into the air. I mean, did you guys have plans for doing a larger scale tour in, in 2020? No, the, the the only thing that we had was the some festivals in the summer and just in in the UK and the two Battlelands gigs that we've we've still to rearrange um, just because I mean it was getting to the point where we were just like we're cancelling it again we're cancelling it again. and it just we couldn't can it wasn't fair to keep doing that to people at the same time I think it was a case of let's see how this pans out uh, and. And the gigs are coming back and stuff like that now, but the difference, the difficulty with that is just to try and explain my part of him. He's got tickets that are like, when's that fucking happening? Um, is that like, if you think the Barlands is one of the most popular venues in Glasgow, the backlog of people that wanted to play there, and then you've got people with new albums that are wanting to play there. I mean, everything's booked like two years in advance, nearly a thing now. So it's not a case of phone up and like, Barlands. Book me in. <laughs> get, get me going. There he goes. You go tomorrow. Aye, great. Sound. See you later. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of backlogging. We and now we have we're starting to make plans for other things as well. So it's like we're, we're going to. I think we're going to. We'll, fi- we'll figure it out this week. But I hopefully that we can we can get it back and tell people when when it's going to happen. But uh, yeah, they were the only two gigs that uh, of our own that we had to cancel. It was kind of like at the end of the, how do you say, like, I hate this, I hate this term, but I'm going to say it, so fuck me. Uh, touring cycle, if you know what I mean, like album cycle. So you do an album, you tour it for like two or three years. I and mean, we were kind of at the end, end of that process, so it was time to kind of go home and start thinking about what's next, if you know what I mean. So we were, I don't want to say we were lucky, but we were definitely lucky compared to other bands that had, an album just coming out and then two years of touring that just got absolutely decimated, you know? So we were in a position where we were going to be kind of hunkering down and writing anyway. So, yeah, 
uh, lucky in that sense. And then we're just very lucky that we've got a lot of people that are really kind to us and we tried our best to, to release some uh, music during the pandemic and do things to kind of, I don't know, just mainly to reach out to people that liked us because we knew it was such a tough time and we didn't want to just go silent. And it was important to see how people were doing and try and try and inject some, well, if it sounds it's more misery, to be honest, but, uh, but you know what I mean? Like, try and keep talking. But, uh, and we did that and people were supportive and, yeah, it's, life's a bit different to how it was and there's been loads of negatives to do with the pandemic and things like that, but I've done my best to try and take take stock, look about what what's came before, what I want now, um, what kind of person I want to be now. Um, and I think a lot of people have done that, to be honest. They've kind of really, it's shaken them to the point of like, uh, how do be, how'd I be better? <laughs> and I got to spend a year and a half with my wee boy and that was, I wouldn't have had that time with him. And it's been, I've been a full-time dad for a year and a half. My wife's been working. She works on the test and trace kind of things. Um, I'm actually in her office, you know. <laughs> um, and so I've, I've been doing that. And I've, as much as it's been hard, it's, I, I, like I say, I wouldn't have had that time with him. And it's been brilliant in a way like that. But it's been, I mean, it's been the best and the worst at the same time. Like, I've, I think we've all been through it, you know, in our own different ways. And I don't think anybody's, as how do I say, anybody's stories, everybody's stories relevant and worthwhile listening to, to see how they came through the other side and how we all come through the other side together. Sorry, I didn't mean to get pure, like, sort of philosophical, but like, it's definitely, I mean, nothing's going, like, nothing will be the same moving forward for anybody and I, I'm I'm wanting to I want to use that as a positive instead of a negative you know the music will still be negative but I'll use a positive as in I want I want to, I don't want to be like thinking about like there's so many negatives out there that it's time I, I want to be focusing on being productive and being the best version of as miserable bastard as possible you know obviously James I mean like on a band level you know COVID's hit everyone hard, but musicians um, equally as much as anything, you know. I take my myself, for example, you know, my, my band was supposed to have our first gig back last week and it got cancelled because the headline act had COVID. You know, we've, and you know, we've had to work our way around recording and writing new material and it's been difficult for yourselves. You know, how have you gone about trying to stay creative um, through this time? There, there was a bit, of, there was a bit of downtime where I just kind of, Blocked everything out and just concentrated on being there for my family, to be honest. Um, but after that, once once you started to kind of, I started to open my head up to it again. Uh, I, I found it quite easy to be creative, to be honest. Like, I, I always need some time. I, I don't write on tour or anything like that, so I need to be at home for that. And, and I, I'm obviously, what I write is quite emotional stuff, and there's been a ton of emotions flying about for everybody. So, um, the record that I'm writing with Andy for the, the next Twilight Sad record is, and I, it's about something really, like, uh, it's something really close to me that's happened. That uh, I'll, I'll discuss it once the record's done and stuff like that. But it's, um, I'll probably touch on it a wee bit at some point. But it's been a really clear, focused thing that I know what I'm writing about. It hasn't been, I, I haven't needed to search for inspiration for it. It's been something that's really 
affected me massively. Um, but I've been doing that. I, like I, the first half of the lockdown, I, I was doing that, writing the Twilight Sad record. Um, and that's all just ma- mainly with Andy just now down in London. Uh, he's demoing it. So I actually haven't heard uh, the what what he's done with my what I've I've written yet, if you know what I mean. But um we're we're getting to the point where we're going to be coming together to talk about that. But um I've started something else as well, an, another project that I can't say anything about apparently. No not that anybody cares I might add. But <laughs> uh, I've like I've just you know, I'm I am i am not allowed to give the game away on some certain things. <laughs> but uh, I've started that and that's been great for me as well. Like a different way of writing. Um, with different people and that's been good uh, and I basically the creative spark for that was anxiety because I mean I don't know I think I don't know about uh, you guys but like I know it's been a massive thing for mental health recently and like my anxiety I've always been quite an anxious person and I think you can tell that through the music that I make anyway Um but I reached kind of fever pitch, fever pitch football reference, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, through like during the kind of second lockdown and stuff like that. Um, so it was just basically trying to figure out what was going on up here and things like that. So that's, I, I was good that I had a creative outlet to do that because that's, that's why I write music. It's a creative outlet for things in my life that, uh, affect me like be it happy or sad mainly sad um, but so there's been plenty of inspiration let's just say that but as far as writing and like performing sorry and stuff like that uh, it's probably I'm, I'm I'm missing it now but I think I needed a break from it it was like 15 years of struggle constantly like, I, I don't mean struggle. I mean like because we. I mean we're not a massive band. I don't. I don't think we're a we're a we're a band that's managing to still release records, and that's the that's the goal, is to be able to keep doing it for as long as possible to until there's nothing left to say or I've got nothing to write about, and it's not about getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's about making a difference in my own life and hope, hopefully other people's. It, it, the fifteen years wasn't like playing supporting the cure every night let's just say that <laughs> it was some 10 people turning up three people turning up some nights touring around and all that proper work which is good because I'm glad that we had to go through that because it makes you appreciate any time that you get any sort of success and success is whatever you you determine it not somebody else you know like that's the thing I think in the music industry that's possibly wrong is that success seems to be determined to other people what they think what, what's successful to them whereas What's successful to me is the fact that I'm I'm doing it in the first place. Um, so, I so it was a 15 years. So I was definitely ready for a. a I think I needed a, a wee refresher, and then I'll be ready once. I mean, once we're allowed, and we are allowed to play just now. But uh, I I don't know. It's, we are playing in a few. I'm playing next month actually. <laughs> Forgot about that. And Paisley, and Paisley as well. Paisley. <laughs> I know, like, I better watch what I say. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you boys play a little bit better than Joe Lewis did today. Well, was it, was it, was it bad? Well, just watch the winning goal later on and you'll, you'll know what I mean. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's character building. That's what those three people in the audience, that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know, we all, we all know, any musician knows the feeling of playing a first support slot at Tunnels on a Thursday night. So 
to the barman. And it's funny, it's like, I, I, as much as I would say that it's it's not the nicest experience in the world, but I think everybody's got to go through it, you know, like to, for, to understand what, like, to it's just like learning a trade, you know, like you've got to be able to, I think it must be so hard for somebody that it just becomes massive overnight, you know, like, like you need, to, I think mentally you've got to build yourself up for any sort of success. Um, so I think that's really sad about what's happened as in for all the bands in that position that were going doing the touring cycle, playing in the small venues and things like that. It's important for their development. And I think that's, again, we, I can go and talk about Spotify and streaming like income and all that. Cause like, it's the, like basically that's, that seems to be the only way to be recognized at the moment. Whereas the best way I, I know that we got recognized at all was getting out there and doing it, you know, like being in front of people, learning, learning how to play live. Like, I mean, if you look at me now eh, from back in the day, back when we started to now, I think I'm, I'm a bit more confident. I'm still shit terrified of of, of it. I, I mean, I don't know anymore. I've not done it in so long. But uh, I think that you've got to go through that apprenticeship, I suppose, to to, to if you're if you're going to become a better musician as well. And I I use the word musician very loosely when it comes to me, very loosely. So thinking back to last year. Uh, to coincide with the date that you were meant to be playing at the Barrowlands, you released a live album called from the 2019 tour, uh, which we've all thoroughly enjoyed um, listening to that. Do you think that the band were really coming into its own in a live sense on that tour? Aye, yeah, I do. I think that's the best we've ever played, if I'm being honest. Uh, aye, we just, it's, we, I think from doing certain gigs and playing in certain uh, venues uh, really kind of helped us develop into the band that we were and um, just watching other bands, you know, like uh, going on tour with The Cure every, like for in 2016 and doing two big massive tours with them. If you, if you don't learn something from that, then more fool you. Like you're getting to watch one of the best bands ever for three hours a night nearly every night and if you're not looking at them and taking in how good they are and and trying to learn something from it then it's a wasted opportunity so I think going through all that like watching them every night and then just getting older as well and just realizing can I try to leave this the stupid heat <laughs> it's not just about going getting drunk with your pals it's like no this is important um and I, I think, I think, I think we were we were we were becoming a better band ever since, ever since those tours. Anyway, I, I mean that album is obviously it's still available on on the Bandcamp, um, the twilightsad.bandcamp.com. Do we plug there for you? And that's on a a, a pays you want basis. And I'd encourage anyone listening to the show to go and head up and pick pick up that copy because it's, it's an amazing piece of work. And like you say, I mean, for me, the band become like this sort of proper tour de force. I think. And it's great to see, for me, I always love how a band like yourselves actually take what you do in the studio and then bring that to a live setting. Because you guys have always been really great at mixing that up. You know, you're not just going to go along and just hear exactly how it's replicated off of the album. Um, so it's fantastic. But I guess for anyone who's listening to our show who's never heard The Twilight Sad, how would you describe them? 
And I know this is the worst question in the world to ask anyone because I hated getting asked this question. I think it's a fair question, and I think that uh, it's a hard one to answer because, and I and I like that it's a hard one to answer because it means that we we don't just exactly sound like another another band. Like I think there's influences from a lot of different areas. Like I listen to a lot of folk, like I used to listen to a lot of folk music, and I think when you strip the songs back, there's a kind of folk element to it you know like I'm talking about personal things about where I'm from and things like that and I'm singing in my own accent um, so I, I think that there's a folk element but there's a big loud noisy element to it as well like on pre- earlier albums there was maybe My Bloody Valentine stroke guitars and then we've moved in with working with technology as we get older and we've got synthesizers and drum machines in now but you can again strip those songs right back to their 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 like the bare bones if you know what I mean. So um I think I think to describe our music it would be indie music. I think it's indie music. Um, um alternative indie, let's say that, with a folk tinge and a sprinkling of shite. <laughs> there you go. You need to get that on the album next. That's how you describe it. Just the little just the little blurb on the front. I suppose as well melancholy. If that's what, like, if you like bands like The Cure, Mogwai, Interpol, even uh, Joy Division, things like that, then. But if you like folk stuff, we've got kind of stuff like that as well. So, I just have to say before Graham takes over, with regards to the last tour, so I was in Glasgow for the summer sessions for what you played with The Cure. Yeah, the summer sessions in Glasgow. The only thing with the word summer involved, where you have to go out and buy a new rain jacket to go to it, by the way. <laughs> now, unfortunately, I was under the impression that you guys would be, it would be go like, I can't remember who was playing first. And then I, Joy Formidable. I assumed it would go them, Mogwai, Twilight Sad, Cure. And it did not go that way. Oh no, Mogwai are times bigger than us and our bosses yeah. <laughs> it's a fair point it's a fair point you play that but i remember we turned up and i could hear the last chords of keep yourself warm i was like ah for fuck's sake but then we did i did see you at the music hall later that year and i'm not just saying this because you're here but that is by far and away the best gig i've ever been to you you get you guys made me cry like three times well, I mean, I make myself cry most of the, well, usually looking in the mirror, I'll be honest, but uh, the, uh, I would, the, I was, I, I've always wanted to play that venue, like, same from coming up with my dad when he was, like, working here on certain, uh, in Upper Aberdeen some nights, and you'd drive past it, uh, and I'd be like, oh, and I'd always hear about it, so it was a special night that night as well for me to, I don't know, play that, I don't know if it, I, I actually don't know if it holds any like you know Glasgow has the Barrowlands I don't know always like that for Aberdeen but I ju- it's a beautiful venue and I was actually there for the first first gig that I went back to since all of this I went to see Nick Cave and Warren Ellis the other night oh yeah nice at the mo- that there which was phenomenal strange to be at a gig but it was the right one to go back to everybody was sitting down yeah so it was like I felt it was the right. It was, I felt safe enough to do that. that I've got my first one coming up on Wednesday, and I'm not telling you how I feel about it. I'm going to see the Manics in Dundee. Um, You've got the Manics are playing Dundee. Yeah, well, get listen to this. They were meant to be playing the Caird Hall, and I chose to go there because I've never been to the Caird Hall for a gig before. So I thought, fuck it, that'll be good. The Caird Hall still being used as a vaccination center. That's where I got mine. <laughs> so they've moved it to Fat Sam's. 
Wow. Which is going to be ridiculous on a number of different levels. But I'm also a bit like, mm, on a anxious kind of COVID level, I'm a bit like... Yeah, my friend went to see Idols there the other night. Um, and she said it was, it was, well, the gig was good, but like, talk about COVID-wise, I, she said, definitely felt that. But I, I can't believe they're playing. Manix was the first gig I ever went to, first album I ever bought. Um I, I can't believe that I didn't know that. That shows you how much I'm out of the loop. <laughs> I think there might still be tickets on sale if you can get yourself a babysitter, so you might be right. But, I, I mean, I've seen the Mannix countless times. Though. I actually got to support them uh, before the last record as well, which was like a full circle moment for me. The Mannix, I mean, they're, they're a fantastic live band still. I mean, even if some, some of their kind of later outputs may be a little bit not quite there as it was, but uh, as a live band, fucking unbelievable so I can't wait to see what they're going to be like in Fat Sam's I'm sure it's going to be amazing taking away the whole Covid thing man if you think about that before all this if you've got the chance to see them in Fat Sam's be that close you know it'd be brilliant uh, yes well maybe just uh, move on to uh, the next question I was going to ask you which is just a general what are you listening to just now uh, I'm listening to Low their new record um, it was very good um, I Started listening to an artist that I haven't ever listened to. That I, I think our previous work is quite poppy, and I don't know, just that hadn't crossed my path. Um, but I'm a big fan of uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, uh, the soundtracks and stuff. So they produced that the artist uh, Halsey's new record. Um, she's like a big American act, act, act artist. Um, I don't know much about her, but I went and listened to that, and I enjoyed that. Uh, just the production on it, you can tell it's them right away. Um, so that's good. As for like Nine Inch Nails fans and stuff like that, I'd say it's worth giving a go just to see what Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross would do with a pop star, if you know what I mean. But that, that's quite interesting and quite a brave move on her part, I thought. Um, and I really like the Billie Eilish record. I'm really into that. I think she's, I think good pop music is really hard to do. And she, my, her and her brother Phineas as well, like there's something about them that I think is really special. So I, I've been listening to that quite a lot. Uh, Mogwai record, new Mogwai record, and of course the new Arab Strap record is without a doubt one of the best things I've heard in, since the last record. <laughs> um, I, just, I, as, like, as a fan of them, they're one of the reasons that I started writing lyrics and, and melodies and stuff like that. And Aiden's a genius in my eyes. And even though I have this high regard of them and the expectations, that record blew blew me away. It blew all expectations out of the water. I just it's genius. The the song uh, the urban the ballad of the is it ballad of the urban fox? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's lyrically and musically genius. Like to bring a subject like that and to to talk about it in that way with using that comparison. To fox hunting and things like that it's just ah, brilliant you recently teamed up with the guys over at bands fc to launch the amazing Aberdeen fc versus twilight sad shirts which ended up raising over eleven thousand pounds to be slipped between the guys over at tiny changes alzheimer's scotland and for your own crew so first of all that is excellent initiative and an excellent outcome and secondly can you give us a bit of an insight into how the the link up with bands fc came about and the reasons for the choices behind uh, selecting the beneficiaries? Yeah, um, so 
Bands FC, we just noticed they started doing it on, I think it was Twitter to begin with. And I thought it was like really cool. Um, never thought that we would get involved. I thought it was like bigger bands that would uh, that they, they would be talking to and stuff. But they, they got in touch with us, just DM'd us on Twitter. And uh, we just started talking and they did the, the badge to begin with, which was really amazing. Kind of, aye, it was really cool. And then... We saw that the Frabbits, Frightened Rabbit, they they had their top for the, the Hearts uh, Tiny Changes top, and they they asked us if we would be interested in it as well. And uh, I mean, I was like, that's pretty much a dream come true. If you're talking, you're you're, you're going to make a Twilight Sad Aberdeen top. I was like, all right, cool. And I was a wee bit tre- uh, trepidatious, God's sake, that big word for me. Uh, about it just because I haven't really it's probably one of the reasons why I didn't come on the podcast first like first time yes maybe was because I, I I don't mixing things can be quite controversial and like people are quite fickle as well um not our fans are very lovely fans and I was worried about if you come out as an Aberdeen fan people will just I know people in the past that have like say if somebody's a certain fan of something they'll just stop listening to them and I want to cling on to as many miserable bastards as possible. <laughs> um, I was very wary of that to kind of come out and do that. But when it's for charity, everything's out the window. Nothing matters apart from making some money for, for people who need it. Um, and to, I mean, it's pretty much a dream come true, like I say, uh, to have an Aberdeen top. Um, so we, we, we just started chucking ideas around. Um, I'm a big Adidas fan anyway, so I... I mean, the fact that Aberdeen's tops are made by Adidas is my is a dream for me as well. So I'll be gutted if that ever ends. Well, it will end at some point, but uh, I've managed to get all the tops every year because it's Adidas as well. But uh, so we're like, what will we call it? So we called it the, the maker of the top, Sadidas. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then the AFAB, I always just remember AFAB, there was a big sponsor, obviously. Uh, so T-SADS made sense with that. Um and then the, the pinstripes as well, just from classic tops and stuff like that, uh, was was what we wanted. So it was a collaboration between the two of us. Uh, Andy came up with a lot of good ideas for the top, and then and then when it came to coming down to who the money would go to, so first of all the crew, just because I mean that's been two two years now that they've not been able to go and 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 make a living. So anything we could do, we wanted to help. Uh, tiny changes just for obvious reasons um big friends with the frabbits and and scott was one of my best friends as well and uh i was always inspired by what he would do for charity and i always looked at like i always thought i could do more and you that was a big inspiration to me was the way that scott um the, the, just threw himself into helping other people um and i was maybe just I think I'm possibly scared to do that a wee bit, but um, now I've taken uh, courage from his actions. Um, so, the, yeah, and the mental health is a massive thing just now. I kind of touched on it a wee bit earlier on when we were talking, but um, it's such a big thing. And I think it, especially within football as well, that we need to all kind of let go of this uh, macho, kind of don't talk about things, Maybe just go and scream at a football player on a Saturday afternoon <laughs> instead of it, instead of actually talking about it to your friends or your family. Um, so a big advocate for mental health as well. Um, 
And the thing that I touched on earlier when I said it's kind of really, well, it's affected my whole life. Uh, my whole life was turned upside down when my mum was diagnosed with uh, early onset dementia in 2016. So I, I was just speaking to Alzheimer Scotland, seeing what we can do to to, to help. Um, so I think it's something that, and moving forward, that I'll maybe be a bit more, I'll be more involved in. Um, so yeah, like the, the my mum's diagnosis completely, I changed changed everything. If you know what I mean. So I'm basically trying to create awareness for that as well. And I think within within football, dementias became a massive thing as well. Like we're we're hearing about Dennis Law and Robbie Charlton and things like that. So I think I thought it was really important, not just for my story, for for uh, anybody else that uh, one just supports a, uh, a team that unfortunately one of the older players has has been diagnosed with that or if it's happened to them in their family or anything like that so the more we're talking about that the better as well so that was the main three ideas um, and I'm glad to raise that amount of money is amazing and it wasn't us that raised that amount of money it was the people that bought the top so if anybody is listening that, uh, that bought the top know that your money went to three really amazing causes and it was uh, not just into my back pocket to go and buy the away top. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I would speak for everyone when I say that all three selections are, are fantastic and obviously, you know, there's your own personal reasons for picking the Alzheimer's Scotland selection, but I think it was, it was even more poignant that I think the week that you guys announced who the three beneficiaries were going to be, I think it was a day or two after... Dennis Law, you just touched on there, had revealed he'd been diagnosed with Alzheimer's as well. And obviously Dennis is one of Aberdeen's, you know, most famous sons who never pulled on the red shirt. So it was it was amazing. And yeah, like you say, it's it's great testament to everyone to raise that that level of cash. And and we were the guys at Man's FC as well. We were able to get a, a shirt off them to give away in a competition as well. So that'll be making its way out to somebody as well. So it's all all around great stuff. And fingers crossed, maybe the guys might be able to wear it out at Hamden in a Scottish Cup semi-final or final, like the Hearts boys did last season with their one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, well, I mean, they probably would want if they would. Then, but it's the harder things getting now. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I was going to say, I mean, you you say Scottish Cup final or you know bottom six split fixture. What's what's is there not like a Johnston Paint Trophy or something like that we can go for? <laughs> <laughs> maybe next year. Maybe next year. I mean, we just touched on it really, really briefly there, James. And obviously, the guys and tiny changes. And you obviously mentioned to us earlier on that you're you're cooking for Grant from Frightened Rabbits tonight. Can we ask, I mean, this might be a bit of a difficult question to ask, but with after the passing of Scott, um, who obviously was not just a musical companion to yourself, but one of your closest friends as well, do you kind of, do you kind of feel like a, a sense of, I don't know, duty in a way to kind of keep Scott and Fighting Rabbit's music out there? Because you guys have made like your own version of Keep Yourself Warm, like almost a staple now of your own, of your own life set. Yeah. Um, I, I do like... Scott's music can speak for itself without me shouting about it, but one of the reasons why we do that song live is because I know that there's a connection between the two bands and there's a lot of fans that come to our gigs that are Frightened Rabbits fans and um, for them a chance to come together and sing it together in a room. Like, there's nothing more than that. What, like, this is not an easy thing to do. I actually really struggle to do it every time that we play it. Um, but that that's and that doesn't matter when it comes to if there's one person in the room that loved Scott that wanted to hear his music played in a live setting like that 
um, that that's that's why we do it. And um, I do feel like if there's one person in the crowd that hasn't heard heard of them and that hears that song and like likes it, then that's that's the other reason to because I'll shout about them till till the end till for me as well. I'll I'll be telling everybody about what an amazing person he was and his music changed a lot of people's lives and there's a lot of people that are out there that haven't heard it yet. Um, so if if it can continue to do that, then I, I do feel a duty in a way to to go and shout about them. Um, people do that all the time, but it's like, I, at least I've got a, 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 there's a, I'm in front of people quite a lot. Well, I used to be. <laughs> uh, and that to me, I would, I would instead of, I don't know, I, I want to use that opportunity to to spread the word about how amazing he was. Is. Yeah, I think that you've, you've, you've got a forum to uh, get a message across that's important to you, then you take your opportunity. So I think final question for me um, would be, what does the rest of 2021 have in store for the Twilight Sad and can we expect any new music from you guys in the future? Uh, so we've got some gigs coming up but it's just me and Andy doing like the strip back uh, sets um, it's not fully acoustic it's like uh, electric guitar uh, kind of some uh, some drum machine and some acoustic stuff as well so it's not just like turn up acoustic guitar we try to do a little bit more than that so we've got we've got quite a few gigs coming up for that I don't actually can't remember what ones are announced and what ones aren't so I don't want to say something that I'm going to trouble for but I do know that the Paisley ones are happening next month that's the Spree Festival uh, and what else is announced there's some more <laughs> let's just say that and we're just going to be working on this record um, I can't say that I know when that's going to happen we do take our time um, and especially with us, with the subject matter, I need to get it. I need to get it right, you know. Like, and not that I've not don't feel like I've got it right before, but it's, it's something that's like every every album's been personal, but this one, this one's the hardest one to write. And it's not been the hardest to write, as in I've it's been I've got it out quite well, but to actually keep on hearing and working on, it's quite quite tough to do that. Um, so. We're working away on that, and that will get that will get recorded next year at some point. I don't know when, but it will be at some point. Um, and then I've got my other thing that I possibly be hearing something quite soon from that. Actually, uh, definitely by the end of the year, anyway. But that's all I can say. But um, we'll get you back on for an exclusive on that one, James. Don't worry. I need no more my soul funk reggae album that I'm doing. <laughs> uh, um, so I've done, yeah. We've got, I've got that music wise, um, and then yeah, we're we're just trying to figure out next year as well, like because you kind of have to get in there early now because there's such a backlog of artists and new artists and old artists all vying for these venues and like I don't want to be forgot about. <laughs> I mean, um, so yeah, and yeah, becoming a dad again, <laughs> and yeah, I like and. Yeah, my, my life, weirdly, over the past two years is, but yes, of course, the band's always on my thoughts, but over the pandemic, the first thought was uh, family. So it's been, I'm only feeling now that I'm starting to make the transition between getting back into a normal kind of norm, normal existence, whatever that is. Um, 
so like between my mum's illness and looking after my kids and kid and then kids soon uh, life's changed completely so uh, you've got to factor in all of that now as well as because before I was just a selfish steamer you know what I mean like just jump about doing what I wanted but I've got responsibilities now and got to factor that in but I, I think I'm more focused than I've ever been as well though to be honest I'm, I'm ready to do like I want to be able to I think we've all kind of learned that what we think is a like life life is short and we all thought but I think we've all realized that over the past couple of years and I want to get as much in as I possibly can and I want to do as much and help as much as I possibly can so hopefully the band can get back on the road in that next year to do what we love but also try and help people as much as we can you know james i think we'll we'll round things off now and um, we know you've got cooking to do and we do not want to be held responsible for delaying the dinner plans of scottish rock royalty so we'll let you go microwaves getting used all night so it's- <laughs> um one final thing just to bring to your attention i don't know you'll probably not be aware of this but we've been on the same podcast before in the past not the same episode, but you did an episode with uh, Nathan Brown for Mood Swings. Yeah, no, I, I remember that. I was, I, was, I was on there subsequently afterwards, and it was you being on there gave us the kind of idea of maybe we could just be a bit cheeky and, you know, slide into your agent's DMs and get, get you on this show. So, uh, but it's like, a, like I, I would have probably said, but like, done this a long time ago. Um, uh, and I've been asked by a, a few things to do kind of. Aberdeen football type things but again I find it like it's just that balance you know like I like we're, I'm here and we've done that football top and the people kind of know now and but we're, I, I feel like it's and my relationship with football as well it's just kind of it's kind of coincided with I have a love love hate relationship with it just now mainly because of one the attitude of what the fans not the Aberdeen fans just saying like as we can all see through the World Cup and the racism and all that kind of stuff it's hard to it's hard to be okay with that it's not okay like it's hard to be like to be able to go ah cool and then I'll just go and watch it and enjoy it again because like I just find that apart like it's just it's horrible and when things need to be doing it done about it it doesn't seem like enough has been done about it um, and then the money side of it as well when there's people like I don't know the money in it. it's ridiculous now, and but I love the game. I just I love, I love the game, and I love I love going to Aberdeen. I there was something I was thinking about, and it was just like, I mean, passion's amazing for for the game. That's the most important thing is the passion from the fans, the the players. But when that turns into like hatred, then everybody's losing. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so. I think there's there's some people need to start talking about that, and I'm not saying that I'm the person, but like it's got to start. People have got to start somewhere. So between that and the top, I feel like I had something to say. <laughs> yeah, well, I think between you know the work you do for lich both literally for Tiny Changes and Alzheimer Scotland and your own crew, on top of what you do artistically, I think you guys hold up your end of the bargain when it comes to making the world a slightly better place. So we'll finish things off with. One final question for yourself, James. What does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Uh, <laughs> uh, misery. No, I'm kidding. On. <laughs> <laughs> my connection with my dad. Like it's given me, it's given us time to 
to be with each other and each other's company that again you don't you shouldn't have to schedule time to be but when with your with your uh, family but when I was away touring and stuff like that it was hard then you come back and then it's hard to kind of like you're knackered and the time traveling to the games at the game and traveling back you can shoot the shit with each other you can talk to each other about absolutely everything and win lose or draw it doesn't matter the time spent with each other was the most important thing and that's that's time spent with people that you you love that's what I suppose uh, and I get to spend time with my friends I've got lots of friends that go to the games now as well so and our Aberdeen fans it's time with other people and whether you win or draw lose or draw it doesn't matter that that time means you're winning anyway no absolutely James the Twilight Sad thank you so much for joining us here on the ABC Football Podcast we really appreciate it and we wish you guys all the very best in the future Thank you. Cheers, guys. All the best. And here's to maybe some better results in the upcoming weeks. Fingers crossed. Stand free. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 12, where we'll review our SPFL Premiership fixture against Celtic. And ahead of the international break, we'll see where we think we are before we head into a set of crucial fixtures in October and November. We'll also take our usual look at the women's team and our youth setup before we round things off with an interview with well-known Aberdeen fan Ali Begg as he joins us to discuss his new book, Aberdeen European Nights. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free.